All right, so if we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Tabor. Um, If you're new, make sure you bring me your connection card after the service. I've got a small gift for you just to say thanks for being with us today. And I want to start this morning with something. Uh, I think hopefully you should all be able to raise your hands at this. How many of you have ever lost something before? Anybody ever lost anything? Okay, very good, very good. Uh, you've lost your keys, you've lost your wallet, phone, luggage, child at the grocery store, money at the fair. You have lost something before. I want to tell you, I want to tell you about a few things that I've lost recently over the last few years. Some of the things that, that I've lost. How many of you have ever had a favorite shirt? I mean, just your favorite shirt, and it, I, I had a favorite shirt. Notice the past tense. I had a favorite shirt. And now you skinny people, you don't understand the challenge of having a favorite shirt because when you buy something, it just fits you. That doesn't make sense to me because when I buy a shirt, I have to, I have to see if it will fit me. It's just for you, it's a matter of going into the store, small, medium, large. Okay, I'll buy that one. Then it just fits. That's not how it works for a person of my build. And when I say my build, I, I want to be clear here. I don't think of myself as fat or pudgy or heavy. No, I'm more upbeat than that. I like to think of myself as athletically husky, okay? So I am athletically husky, and I know that some of you are as well. And when you're athletically husky, it's a challenge to find a shirt that fits the way you want it to fit. And I had that shirt, and I loved it. Some of you have probably seen me wear it before. It was blue, and I got it from Kohl's. You don't know where I got it from. It doesn't matter. But I got it from Kohl's, and it just fit. You know what I'm saying? It just fit me. And so I'd wear it. One of the things that happens when you have a favorite shirt is, you wear it pretty often and becomes your go-to shirt. Oh, I'm going to church, I better put on my favorite shirt. Oh, I'm going into town for a meeting, better put on my favorite shirt. Oh, I'm taking stuff to the dump, better put on my favorite shirt. You know, you just, it becomes your go-to garment and that's what happened. And I, I would wear my favorite shirt all of the time and it got a little worn, but that was okay. It just gave it character, you know? And uh, so one day, I was putting on my shirt. I had decided to wear that one that day, surprising no one. And I was putting on my shirt, and one of the things that you should know about me is I'm a guy who likes to be efficient. I like to save time. I don't like to do things in, in a way that's inefficient. And one of the most inefficient things you can do is button all the buttons on your shirt when you put them on. It just takes forever. And so what you do is, to save time and be more efficient, is you put on a button-up shirt like you would a t-shirt. And on most days, that works just fine, but today it didn't. I had, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Tommy Boy before, but I kind of had like a, a fat guy in a little coat moment going on there, and it just ripped right down the back. And all of a sudden, I didn't have a favorite shirt anymore. May it rest in peace. Pieces, really. Mostly pieces. Anyway, I, so I lost this shirt, this favorite shirt, and in the moment I went, man, that really bugs me. This is my favorite shirt. It just fit. But you know what I did? I put on another shirt and I went to work and my life was okay. Because that's how it goes. My life was not 
really changed all that much because I lost my shirt. Let me tell you about something else that I lost. Um, my car keys. This is a slightly bigger deal to me. In September of last year, Leah and the kids and I, we went up to spend some time with my parents. And one day while we were at my mom's, my keys went missing. This is a slightly bigger deal to me. In fact, the, the day that we left, we ended up spending most of the morning looking for my keys. Looking, 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 inside, outside, taking all the toys out, unpacking the suitcase, repacking the suitcase, looking in the yard, looking in the shed, looking everywhere for my keys. Finally, it was time to go. We had to go. And so Leah had her keys. We were able to get back home. And we get back home, and the next Monday, I go into the Honda dealership down in New Albany, and I say, how much, how much for a replacement key? Anybody want to guess how much it costs for a replacement key for my van? 400 bucks. Needless to say, we only have one key for our van. Okay? But I started playing this game in my mind. If you wouldn't have been so careless, you'd still have your keys. If you wouldn't have been so stupid, if you wouldn't have been so thoughtless, you'd still have your keys, you idiot. And I started playing that game in my mind. Let me tell you about something else that I lost recently. This was just a a couple of weeks ago. Um, When my grandpa passed away, I only wanted one thing that belonged to him, and it was was this hat. And I don't wear it very often, but my grandpa wore it all the time. And uh, I have it hanging on the edge of my dresser. And uh, every so often I get it down and I just look at it and and I remember him. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting it down off the corner of the dresser, and uh, as it was coming off, it, it snagged, and it ripped. And this was a big deal to me. And I looked at this hat that my grandpa had for the entire time that I knew him, and for many years before I knew him, and I saw that it had ripped but I quickly came to this understanding in my mind that I still have it. It's still mine. It still reminds me of my grandpa, but it's never going to be the same again. It will never be whole. This is its new normal, and I'm just going to have to be okay with that. And what I want to tell you this morning is that God, God doesn't think of you like that. God doesn't look at you like his favorite shirt and say, oh, well, that's too bad. I really liked it, but now it's gone. Oh, well. God doesn't look at you like a pair of keys and say, I wish I still had them. And if he wasn't so thoughtless and foolish and unwise, maybe he'd still be around. And God doesn't look at you like this hat and say, this is the new norm. He's never going to be okay again. And I've got to be okay with that. I want to show you how God does think about you today. So if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. We'll start in verse 1. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice and they won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there'll be one flock with one shepherd. Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I might take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. There's a lot in this passage that we could talk about. There's a lot in this passage that we should talk about. But I want to start pretty simple. Uh, I want to start talking about some of the characters that Jesus outlines in this passage. There are sheeps. Sheep. Sheep is singular and plural, just so you know that. I'm from the city. There are sheep. There's a hired hand. There's a shepherd. There's a thief. And there's a wolf. Let's start where Jesus starts. Anyone who tries to get to the sheep in any way that isn't the gate is a thief. And I want to point out that Jesus isn't thinking about any one specific group here. We have a tendency when Jesus says something negative about somebody to just assume he's talking about the Pharisees and religious leaders because, well, because most of the time when Jesus says something negative about somebody, he's talking to the religious leaders. But in this case, he's not talking to them specifically. His point is a little bit different. He's saying that there's only one legitimate way to enter. Everything else is just going to steal from you. It's going to steal your time. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal meaning from your life. And ultimately, it's going to steal your relationship with God. There's only one legitimate way to enter, and it's through Jesus. It's what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. He says you can't enter God's kingdom. Oh, no, wait, let me start over. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gates. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. John chapter 14 says it a little differently. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And when we read passages like these that make this exclusive claim about Jesus, what we often hear is 
this one specific bit of pushback. People will say something like, well, isn't it insensitive? Isn't it insensitive or intolerant to make such an exclusive claim about Jesus? What about Buddhists? What about Hindus, Muslims, Zoroastrians? What about atheists? Isn't it wrong to make such an exclusive claim about Jesus? There's a really simple answer. It's, it's only insensitive if it's not true. It's only insensitive if it's not true. If Jesus wasn't the way, the truth, and the life, it would be wrong to say that he was. If Jesus wasn't the only way to God, it would be wrong to say that he was. But if it's true, it's not insensitive at all. It's just telling the truth. Let me say it a different way for you. Uh, Let's say that you were getting ready to come to church this morning, and it had been raining hard all night. A lot of rain. A lot of rain. And so we realize that there's some potential for flooding roads, and so we send out uh, some, of the, some of the leaders in the church here to, to scout out roads to see which ones are open and which ones are flooded. And after we do all of that work, we determine that the only way to get to church this morning is Mount Tabor Road from Salem. It's the only way you can get to church in the morning. And so we say, well, we, we need people to know that or else people are going to try to get to church a different way and they're going to get stuck in water and this could be a potentially dangerous situation and so we start calling people we start telling people hey if you want to if you want to come to church this morning you're going to need to go all the way into Salem and then come up Mount Tabor Road that way it's the only way you're going to be able to get here and people say oh thank you so much for that information thank you for the information I call one person though and they say you know what I don't like going that way I don't really appreciate you calling and telling me that way. I like to come from this way. You know how much farther it is for me to go all the way into town and then have to come back up Mount Tabor Road? I don't want to do that. And I don't appreciate you calling and telling me. You know what I'd have to say? Say, listen, you can, you can dislike that all you want, but that's the only way you'll get here. It's only insensitive if it's not true. And what I'm telling you is that Jesus is the only way to have a right relationship with God. It's only insensitive if it's not true. And if it is true, we have a responsibility to tell people that Jesus is the only way. And so I guess what I'm saying is we have a responsibility to make sure people know Jesus is the only way. We have a responsibility to make sure people know Jesus is the only way. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Let's talk about sheep for a minute, okay? Um, Sheep are a common metaphor that Jesus uses for people in the Bible, And, and you know this better than I do, but frankly, that's not flattering. That's not the best description of what it would be like to, you know, if we had to pick our own description, right? I, I wouldn't pick myself as a sheep, maybe like, like, a, like a stallion, you know, or like a, a strong bull or something like that. I would not pick a sheep as the metaphor to use for myself. How many of you would pick a sheep? No, I, I'm going stallion. That's, that's just how I... That's just how I'm going to think of myself, okay? You can disagree, right? Uh, Stallions are athletically husky. Just throwing that in there. 
But sheep are a common metaphor that Jesus uses for people, and it's not, it's not great. Uh, I googled, I really, I googled this. I said, stupid things that sheep do. That's a list that'll keep you busy for a while. Okay, and, and here's one that I read that really stood out to me. Uh, the, the writer of this particular article said, left unattended, sheep will stay in the same place and eat every blade of grass. And when every blade of grass has been eaten, they won't move. They'll eventually begin to eat the excrement that has fallen to the ground until they die. You don't have to try too hard to make that preach. Can I, can I show you what I mean? That's a pretty good metaphor for culture. And we're told that saying Jesus is the only way is intolerant. And that we shouldn't talk like that. We shouldn't think like that. We should be more inclusive and that we should embrace other people's views of religion and just validate that as truth. And if we're not careful, we can begin to graze there and eventually start eating things that'll kill us. We're told that we'll be happier if we set aside faithfulness to have sex with as many partners as we can. And that message is all around us. It's on every TV program you watch. It's on every commercial you see. And if you're not careful, you can begin to graze there and eventually eat the things that'll kill you. We're told that we'll be happier if we can just get a little bit more. If we can just get a little bit more. If we can just get a little bit more. And if we're not careful, we can eventually start grazing on things that'll kill us. Culture hints that Christianity is just for weak people that need a way to feel better about themselves because they're not smart enough on their own. If you start to, you can begin to graze on things that will kill you. Without the voice of a shepherd, it's easy to stay in those areas. But church, we have a shepherd who is calling us out of those things. We have a shepherd whose voice we recognize who says, don't believe that. That's a lie. We have a shepherd who will say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh and what God has joined together, let no man separate. We have a shepherd who says, Foxes have holes and birds has nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And if you're going to follow Me, you need to be okay with that. We have a shepherd church and we know His voice. And He calls us out of those things into green pastures. I think the most important thing to remember about a sheep is that it knows the voice of its shepherd. Sheep knows the voice of its shepherd. It's not going to respond to a stranger. It'll run from a stranger. So church, we need to know the voice of our shepherd. That's why we put together a Bible reading plan for this year that'll take us through the Bible in a year so that we can become more confident in recognizing the voice of our shepherd. Now, maybe you're new to Tabor. This is the first that you're hearing of it. That's okay. We put together a Bible reading plan uh, and you can find it here mtcchurch.org slash brp. 
And if you are hearing about this for the first time, I want to encourage you to start reading the Bible with us. We've set the goal as a congregation to read through the whole Bible in one year. My advice to you, if this is the first you're hearing of it, just start. Just start. Start in Genesis 1. Start on March 1st, but just start so that you're more equipped to recognize the voice of our shepherd. Now let's talk about shepherds. And the best way to talk about a shepherd is to contrast him with the hired hand. So here's what Jesus says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand's going to run away when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. You see, when a hired hand sees danger, he runs away because it's just a paycheck to him. He might be bummed out that he has to find a new job. It might be inconvenient for him. Life might be a little more challenging for a while. But it'll be okay. Kind of like that time when I lost my favorite shirt. A little bit of a bummer. Life goes on. It's going to be bothersome. I'm sorry for the hassle. Wish I didn't have to find a new job. But for the hired hand, it's replaceable. His primary concern is the paycheck, not the sheep. And what Jesus is telling us is, I'm not the hired hand. I'm not a hired hand. A shepherd's livelihood is connected to the sheep. If the sheep die, it will hurt him personally. The hired hand can run away, but the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And so I want you to to make sure you get this. If you are a follower of Christ, you don't just believe in Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You don't just believe. You belong. So here's why that's so important. He won't abandon you in your day of trouble. He won't forget about you. He won't write you off as the cost of doing business. He won't run away in fear. He'll run towards you and bring security to your fear. He'll leave the 99 to rescue the one and he will give up his life for you. That's the heart of our faith. That's the absolute heart of our faith. That's what Jesus came to do. He lived in perfect obedience to God's will. Spotless, blameless. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are. Every way that we are. Yet he was without sin. He was without sin. And Jesus lives this perfect life of perfect obedience. The only person who has ever lived that has not guilty of sin and subject to the punishment that sin demands. And what does he do? He subjects himself to the punishment that sin demands. That's what his death on the cross was all about. Subjecting himself to the punishment of sin for the sake of people who deserve the punishment of sin. On the cross, What Jesus did was absorb all of God's wrath into Himself. All of the wrath that rightfully should have gone to people who have sinned. Like like me. 
and like you. But Jesus absorbs all of that punishment into Himself so that now when God looks at the Christian, He doesn't see a sinner who should experience His wrath. He sees a spotless and blameless person like who Jesus is. And let me say it just a little differently. When Jesus was on the cross, God looked at him the way that he should look at us. We're told that the Father turned his face away. The Father turned his face away from Jesus. And if I'm just being honest, because of the things that I've done, because of the sins I have committed, when God looks at me, he should do this. He should turn his face away because I am not worthy. But he looked at Jesus that way so that when he looks at me, can say, well done, good and faithful servant, the way only Jesus deserves. God looked at Jesus the way I deserve so that he can look at me the way only Jesus deserves. And that's why we worship. Because we've received a forgiveness that we don't deserve. And that makes me want to sing. That makes praise well up from within me. So if you're here and you're thinking, why do these people sing? And they eat a weird snack and they listen to a speech. We do that because the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And we celebrate that truth. I know that this may not make sense to you yet. It took me a long time. It took me a long time just coming and sitting and listening before the gospel started to make sense in my life. And if you have questions, I want to encourage you to ask them because I know they're good questions. I know you have good questions and you deserve answers to them. But for some of you, you're here and you believe what you've heard. Your trouble is a little different. Your trouble is accepting it. And and maybe you've thought something like this, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know the sin that I have in my past. I know that God forgives people, but people like me? And can I just tell you that the Bible is full of murderers and liars and cheaters and thieves who have all experienced the grace and forgiveness of God? They've experienced God's forgiveness, not His wrath. And God wants the same thing for you. Tim Keller has this quote, and I think about it a lot. He says, when people say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, they mean that they've failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. Here's what I want you to hear. Don't let your opinion of yourself be more important than God's opinion of you. I say that one more time for you. Don't let your opinion of yourself be more important than God's opinion of you. Sometimes we do this dance. We say, I just, I don't deserve to be forgiveness because of this and this and that and this and that and all these different things. Matt Chandler is one of my favorite preachers. He has this great line on this subject. He says, it's kind of like somebody offering you a billion dollars. 
And they offer you a billion dollars, and your response is, well, I don't know. I made some pretty, pretty serious financial mistakes in my past, and I'm just not confident I'd be able to handle it. I don't think I deserve that. I'm just going to have to pass on this billion dollars. None of you would say that. You know what you'd do? You'd take the billion dollars and figure out the rest later. You'd take a billion dollars, and you'd figure out the rest later. And what I'm saying is do the same with God's grace. Take his forgiveness. Figure the rest out later. Here's what I'm saying. You may not feel worthy, but God has decided that you are. Accept his forgiveness. Figure the rest out later. Listen, you're not, you're not God's favorite shirt. He's not going to replace you when he feels like it. You're not a set of misplaced keys that he wishes he still had, but life goes on. And you're not a hat that he wishes wasn't broken, but is. God has decided that you are worthy. Listen, God has decided that you are worthy of whatever it takes to restore. Whatever it takes. And he was so serious about that that he sent Jesus to do everything that it took to restore. My hope, my only hope for today is that that truth would just wash over you. That you would believe it for the first time or that you would believe it anew. That you are worthy because God has decided you are. We're going to close a little differently today. Uh, this sermon's all about reminding you how God feels about you. Um, so we're going to read a passage of Scripture together that says it so much more clearly than I ever could. I want you all to stand up, and uh, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. We're going to read it together, so if you would, just, just kind of follow my lead as we read this passage of Scripture together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you care about us, that you love us, that you have sent us a good shepherd who will lead us into green pastures and beside quiet waters, who will restore our soul. And God, we ask that we never forget that it is for your namesake that these things happen. God, let the truth of your love wash over us for the first time or wash over us anew. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.